Today's scripture reading is from Revelations 1, 1 through 18. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which Son gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and he and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us kingdom priest, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming from the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of my favorite like internet jokes right now is this 2020 bingo card. I don't know if you've seen this like on Facebook or social media, but it's like, you know, it'll ask like who had global pandemic in 2020 and who had killer hornets in 2020 or murder hornets in 2020 and who had raging wildfires in 2020. And I want to ask who had the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl in 2020? As bad as this year has been, don't ever forget that. We won the Super Bowl. So I'm trying to make light of this a little bit, but it has been an overwhelming couple of months. And I don't know about you, but I have asked a few times to myself, is this it? Is, is this the end? <laughs> is this how we go out? And I've even longed for that more than ever. It's like, Jesus, come back. It's time. We're ready to tap out. We're done. So we're starting actually this new series, uh, speaking of Jesus' return in the book of Revelation. And I sense God's providence here because we actually planned this series, I don't know, 18, 24 months ago, at least in rough sketches. And it feels so relevant now. Now, some of you, when you hear me say we're going to spend the next 10 weeks or so in the book of Revelation, you're, you're pulling out your charts and your maps and you can't wait to hear who we think the beast is and what the, what, how the latest conspiracy theories align with the book of Revelation. Just so you know, we're, we're not going to do that. Uh, others of you are just freaking out. You're, you're like, do our pastors think this is the end of the world? Is that why they want to talk about this right now? And honey, should we finally go buy that missile silo condo that we've always dreamt of having for the end of the world? And maybe others of you are like, really? Is this really where we want to go right now in the middle of a pandemic and fresh off the heels of race protests and in, in the midst of one of the most contentious election seasons on the record? Uh, is this the book we really want to dive into right now? Do we want to stir that pot? And I just want to say, I think this is exactly what we need to be talking about right now. 
I need this right now. It is true that Revelation is probably one of the most confusing and strangest books in the Bible, but it's also one of the most hopeful and it's always timely for God's people, no matter where we find ourselves in the arc of God's story of history. And we've been living in the last days, frankly, since John wrote these words 2,000 years ago. I mean, we've, the world was put on notice the second Jesus came and announced the coming of the kingdom. We've always been in the last days. And I need these words from John now more than ever. So here's the big idea for this whole book. Here's the big idea for our first message in this series, and it's the title of this series. Jesus is making everything sad untrue. Jesus is making everything sad untrue. He will undo what is evil. He will replace what is lost. He will restore what is broken. He will heal what is wounded. He'll make right all that has been made wrong. He'll be victorious over shame and death and sorrow. This is the story of Revelation. Jesus wins and nothing can stop him. And I need to hear that right now. So if you have your Bible near you, turn to Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. It should be pretty easy to find. There are 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. And we're only going to be spending 10 weeks in this book. So obviously we're going to have to move a little quickly here. But rest assured, the good news is Revelation is a heavily thematic book. And so even though we're not going to be going necessarily verse by verse through this, we are going to hit those major themes together over the course of these 10 weeks. And for those of you maybe who want to take a deeper dive into this book uh, as we walk through it, want to do a little extra study, uh, I want to recommend just two quick resources for you. And I may do more of this along the way in Tom as well, but here at least to start. Uh, the first is a book by a guy named Richard Bauckham, who is my favorite theologian on anything John wrote, his gospel, revelation, his letters. Uh, and he wrote a little book. It's called The Theology of the Book of Revelation. What I like about it is it covers the major themes of the book, and it's not too long, and it's not too dense, it's not too hard. It gives you a good overview from a big picture standpoint of the book. And for those of you who are like, I don't want to read a book right now, uh, and I'd rather watch a video, something uh, quick and uh, kind of digestible, I always recommend uh, The Bible Project. Uh, they have a great video, two-part video, on the, Revel the book of Revelation and kind of a broad overview of everything going on in that book. So check that out. We're going to look at chapter one today together of the book of Revelation. So let me give you just a little context for this book. And if you remember, about a year ago, we uh, walked through the first three chapters of Revelation. And we talked about how this specific vision is given to seven actual local churches in modern day Turkey. Uh, and it's written by John. And John is writing from Patmos. Which is, which is an island uh, off the coast of Turkey. And he's most likely in exile for his faith. We don't know that for sure, but we're pretty sure. Which is hard, right, to be in exile for sharing your faith. He's been kicked out of uh, society, essentially, for sharing his faith. But it's not nearly as bad as what's happening to the local churches broadly at this point in Christian history. There is really serious persecution happening to these local churches. There's financial persecution uh, there is uh, social uh, pressure. There's uh, even uh, arrests being made and, ex and being executed for being Christian happening at this time. And there's increasing pressure for Christians 
and the Christian community to give up and to walk away because it's just so hard. So John, I, I imagine, is pondering all of this on the Lord's Day is how John puts it. So this is a Sunday morning. He's going to church. He's going to worship. This is, that's verse 10. And I imagine that he's wondering and praying, God, when does this stop? You know, Jesus, when you left, and, you know, John was there, and when you left, when you ascended to heaven, you said you'd come back, but you're still not here. And the world is a mess, and there's evil, and there's grief, and there's loss all around. And maybe John's even wondering, how is the church going to make it through this time? This is so difficult. And then suddenly, in the midst of, of all these thoughts, he's caught up in the spirit and his vision of reality completely changes. So it's like suddenly his senses are opened and he, he can hear and he can see and experience reality, not simply as a human being sees and experiences it, but he begins to see it as God sees it. And that's really what an apocalypse is, which is the Greek title of this book, John's Apocalypse. The Apocalypse of John. Now, in English, that word apocalypse, it has all these connotations, right? It, it, it means like the end of the world in a sci-fi kind of way, like zombies and aliens or whatever. Uh, or it can mean kind of a prediction of the future, like I'm going to lay out everything that's going to happen between now and the end of the world. But the primary meaning in Greek is simply revelation, to reveal something. It's not just what will be true, though the Revelation does talk about the future, but it also talks about what is already true right now, even if you cannot see it. It's a revelation of what's real, what's truly real. So John sees for the first time what God is up to behind the scenes. And the first thing John sees, right, when that, when that curtain is pulled back, when that veil is peeled away, is this. This is verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now this term son of man, it's straight out of the Old Testament, it's from the book of Daniel. And if you remember, when you read the Gospels, it is Jesus' favorite self-designation. He, he often refers to himself as the son of man. So this is Jesus right here with John. That's the idea. That's, who, that's who's here with him. Jesus is right here, and he commands John to write down all that he sees and all that he hears and to send them to these, local, these seven churches. But the first thing Jesus wants, a persecuted, beat up, exhausted church and apostle, he want, when he peels back the curtain of reality, he says, I want you to see things as I see them. The first thing he wants us to see is himself. I'm here he wants the church to see and remember that God is present. He's with us, especially when that is hard to believe. So Jesus makes three promises here, three reminders to us as we begin this series in Revelation. Okay, so here they are. Here's the first promise Jesus makes in this vision to John. The first, it's, he, it's, Jesus is saying, I'm right here, even if I seem far away. He is right here even if he seems far away. And the early church, uh, no doubt, was tempted to feel that God was distant. Many probably expected Jesus to have returned by now. There are letters, whole letters in the New Testament 
or churches are confused. Is Jesus coming back? Did he already come back? What's going on? Why is the world so difficult? Why is there hardship and persecution? If being right and following Jesus is so hard, maybe it'd be easier to be wrong and just become a pagan again because this is really difficult. It would be so easy at this time to believe God had abandoned you. And that's probably how maybe some of us feel right now, if we're being honest. I I can't be the only one who has prayed a few times in my life. God, where are you? I don't feel you near. I don't sense you with me. I can't be the only one who, over the last couple of months in particular, has struggled to sense God's presence, especially at my low moments. And here's the thing. Normal, Normal life, even when life is okay, our earthly eyes default to this. Our... Our eyes don't default to seeing reality as God sees it. They default to seeing the world as we perceive it. And our world, from our vantage point, looks chaotic. It looks scary. It looks lonely. And remember, we live in a culture and in a time in particular that constantly reinforces that the only thing that's real is what you can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. There's very little room for God and the supernatural in that framework. And that tempts us to believe lies about God, that he doesn't care, that maybe he's not listening, that he's not working, and maybe, just maybe, that he's not there at all. So John's apocalypse, God's revelation to John, the first thing it does is it reminds him, and it reminds the early church, and the church forevermore, as we read this book, that Jesus is always right here, right now. He's leading, he's guiding, he's directing now. Not just someday, but right now. And the ultimate promise of this book is that one day, Jesus will physically be with us again. And we won't need reminders of his presence because he will be with us fully again. But for now, that's the end of the book of Revelation. For now, in this time between, John needs and the early church needed, and we need to remember that he's with us even now. He's here. So watch for him. Watch for him. That's really what this series is for, to live and move through our present reality, through our moment that's full of fear and doubt and uncertainty and to to allow the Spirit among us to reopen our eyes and to see as God sees. How God sees our work, how God sees our school, how God sees our family, how he sees our coworkers, how he sees our neighbors, how he sees our enemies. To watch for God's presence and movement constantly. To see as he sees. And to never root ourselves too strongly in this present age. Because we know the presence of God is invading our reality. This is what Jesus means when he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He is promising God's reality is coming into yours is taking over this age. And that's what John begins to see in this vision, right? God's invasion of reality. And that really brings us to our second promise here in the book of Revelation, which is that he is in control even when it feels chaotic. So he's here and he's in control. And I think 2020, uh, more than anything, has challenged our belief that somebody, that anybody is in control, especially at the cultural level. Maybe it's just me, but it feels like all of our leadership structures, just right, government, industry, even our scientific advancements have been seriously exposed by coronavirus. 
no one knows what they're doing. No one knows how we're going to fix this. No one knows what the future holds. And it feels like chaos. And for Westerners like us in particular, who are used to plans and certainty and control and the scientific method, that's really uncomfortable. We don't like that. But what it does is it actually brings us closer to, than we normally perhaps would be to the context of Revelation. These churches feel life is in chaos. It's out of control. They feel helpless. Which is why John makes sure to know that Jesus stands right in the middle of the lampstands. That's the image. Which Jesus tells us uh, in verse 20 that these lampstands are the churches. He stands in the midst of his people. That's the idea. And not only is Jesus in the midst of his people leading them, but he sits on the throne in heaven and the kings of earth report to him. That's verse 5. There is no authority or realm over which he is not the final word. This is the first thing we learn about Jesus in the book of Revelation. There's nothing outside of his control. And the Jesus that John portrays here is not this Jesus. And it's not this Jesus. Listen to what John sees starting in verse 12. And if it helps you, close your eyes. The imagery of this book is powerful and it's meant to be heard. Look, so think, think of, uh, or close your eyes. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining at full strength. This is not best friend Jesus that John sees. This is terrifying Jesus. Now remember that the imagery in Revelation while it's very important, this is not a literal description of what Jesus looks like right now. But each of these descriptions, the sword in his mouth, the eye is a flame, the voice like many waters, is meant to communicate something. Namely, that Jesus is incredibly powerful. He is all-seeing. He's all-knowing. And he comes in judgment, the sword. His word defines what is right and wrong, good and evil, beautiful and ugly, right? It divides he could snuff us out at any moment, which is why uh, John, in verse 17, he falls down at his feet as though he were dead when he sees him. Of course he does. This is not best friend Jesus. This is cosmic, reigning Jesus. So align with him. This is part of the call of the book of Revelation. One of the major themes throughout this book is to call Christians to ultimate allegiance to Jesus, even if it means physical death. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week when we turn to the churches that, these were, that this uh, vision was written to. But John is adamant that Christians must align ultimately with no king of earth, but only with the king of kings. Our ultimate allegiance is only to him. And we're entering a season, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times the last few weeks, we're, we're entering a season where our allegiances will be tested. It happens every four years in the American democratic system. And my guess is that no matter who wins in November, the other side is going to say the world is ending. We're going to hear that, that chaos reigns and a bunch of promises are going to be made that our salvation is going to come from Air Force One or our doom is going to come 
from Air Force One. As Christians, we know better than that. We know better. We know that this king in Revelation is the only one who can save. He's the only one in control. And he is the only one worth our allegiance and our loyalty. Not only because of his power, which is insurpassable, but because of his promise. And this is our last encouragement here. Uh, Remember, he's right here with us. He's in control. And finally, his death brings life. This is a promise Jesus makes. My death brings life. Listen to verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now listen carefully to me here. If Jesus can take his own death, referenced here, if he can take the worst moment in human history, the most heinous act ever, think about this with me, humanity torturing and killing its own maker. That's what's happening on the cross. If Jesus can take that death and turn it into life forevermore for anyone who would believe in him, is there anything he cannot save? Is there anything he cannot redeem? Is there anything he cannot turn for our good? Is there any reason to doubt his love and his care and his goodness? And listen, there are so many things to be afraid of right now. Seriously, I feel it. What if there's no cure for this virus? What if schools and businesses have to close again? What's that going to do to the economy? What if the economy tanks? What if inflation runs rampant? What if one side wins in November? Or worse, the other side wins in November? What if there's a contested election and our democracy is shaken to its very core? What if I get sick? What if someone I love gets sick? What if I lose someone? On and on and on. That list could go. And it's scary. And John has one reason, despite all of that, that we need not fear. Jesus, this Jesus, is alive. And if he's alive, there's nothing to fear. Fear not. This is Jesus' command. If Jesus can make death itself untrue, which is exactly what he promises in the book of Revelation. There is no tear he cannot turn to laughter. There is no heartache he cannot mend. There is no sorrow he cannot turn to dancing. There is no sadness he cannot turn to joy. Jesus is making everything sad untrue.